Hi there. You're listening to A Public Affair on KGNU. I'm Jackie Sedley, your host today. This morning, you'll hear an intimate conversation between myself and a family irrevocably wronged by the criminal justice system. Ryan Partridge is the main focus of today's episode. Ryan had had a rough few years in his late 20s and early 30s. He'd spent 72 hours in a Colorado Springs hospital under a mental health hold, had a breakup with his girlfriend, and moved back in with his mother, and had the police called on him several times. He'd also spent three months at a rehab in Florida, but his mother decided that place wasn't the right fit after the residential psychiatrist told Ryan he was a narcissist. He had no serious psychological diagnoses at this point. His behavior worried his parents, but they didn't know what to boil it down to. I thought Ryan at first was was drinking too much. Then I thought he was a who was drinking so much. It's hard to admit that your son has a condition like this. I didn't have an answer for all this petty misdemeanor type crimes from, you know, getting into fights to vandalism to uh, shoplifting, things of that nature. That's Richard Partridge, Ryan's father. He says there was one incident in particular that really got his attention. Ryan was down at Lolita's, that's the market on 8th and Pearl, and he got in a fight with two homeless people. And actually, Ryan was punched first, but he hit the other guy and knocked his teeth out. We were afraid of you know felony charges and things of that nature. That was the first time we were ever in the felony range, so I definitely was paying attention. Things came to a head when Ryan was arrested on a misdemeanor harassment charge in early 2016. From February to December of that year, Ryan would spend roughly 200 days at the Boulder County Jail as a pretrial detainee, 40 days at Fort Logan Mental Hospital, and an additional 20 days at the Arapahoe County Jail. Those dates are according to Ryan's personal testimonial. His stay at the county jail ended on the evening of December 17th but not because a judge decided his sentence was over. It was because Ryan had reached his limit. After three separate stints in solitary confinement, after seven counts of excessive force by jail staff, Ryan couldn't take it anymore. He blinded himself with his own fingers. Neither of Ryan's parents knew that he had been in solitary confinement. They also didn't know jail employees were hurting him also didn't know that he had been diagnosed with schizophrenia while at Fort Logan. Earlier this month, on August 9th, Ryan settled a federal civil rights lawsuit against former Sheriff Joe Pelly and Boulder County for a total of $2.55 million. In light of the end to a years-long uphill battle, Shelley Partridge, Ryan's mother, invited me to come over and hear the full story. I was greeted in the driveway by Shelley, Ryan, and Richard. I was surprised to find out Richard also lived there with them, since Shelley told me they'd been divorced for almost as long as they were married back in the day. She'd explained he'd moved back in on December 1st of 2016, the day Ryan was going to sentencing with the assumption of release. Obviously, that release didn't happen. The four of us sat at their round, walnut-colored wooden table on a very hot August day for two hours. They gave me an overview of Ryan's time as a pretrial detainee, his self-inflicted blindness, his schizophrenia diagnosis, and the settlement that marks a significant turn in their trajectory as a family. 
The first half of today's A Public Affair will mainly focus on Ryan's experiences at the Boulder County Jail. In the second half, we'll talk more about the lawsuit and the settlement. Please note that the interview you are about to hear contains mild to moderate descriptions of self-harm and suicide. If that doesn't sound appropriate for your ears or the ears of those around you right now, tune back in at 9.30. We'll start with Richard Partridge, Ryan's father. 90% of the time that he was in the jail, he was a pre-trial detainee. He was only an inmate, literally, for 16 days from the time the judge in Boulder sentenced him and from the time that he blinded himself. And there's a slight difference between a pre-trial detainee and an inmate who's been found guilty of something. And you have to realize this was simple misdemeanor harassment, though he had a lengthy record of a lot of petty-type crimes. So it was unheard of that he did that much time. So just to clarify the timeline, before December 2nd, you, Ryan, had been in and out of jail for about 100 and so days. Just over 180 plus 45 and 20 that are different, I'm just saying. that, And I was out for maybe three months in the summer, so it's, it's over the course of like nine months or ten months at least. More than that, I guess. It's like, a, it's like an 11 or 12 month. Right. Okay. A lot of the problem was that we were not given information about what was going on. Right. When he came home, the one time we had books that he had had at Fort Logan, and um, I was going through them because we were going to give them away and found a paper that um, they gave to Ryan, of course, Ryan not knowing what's going on, um, that they had had a judge here in town, Boulder County did, uh, agree that he could be forcibly medicated. And this was in the spring of 2016. But instead of doing that, they released him. And, and they never told us. And we never knew of the abuse. We didn't know, you know, what was going on when he was in there. Nobody. Ryan never told us he was being abused, which isn't that surprising. He's not a whiner. And I don't think he was aware completely that what they were doing was wrong. It was over the top. Right. Ryan, did you have any awareness of that or, or anything that was going through your mind that you remember that led you to not tell your parents about that? No, I mean, I was just, I was distraught. And it, when I was isolated in March, it, it threw me over the top. I was in for like 33 days. And it was just a long ordeal starting then. Yeah. Do you have a brief way to describe your time in there? I know that that's obviously very heavy and I'm sure there's parts you do and don't remember, but is there any kind of brief overview you could give me of your time? Uh, it was difficult in the spring because I was isolated for over 30 days straight. Um, it was difficult in the winter because uh, I got tased three times in the final two weeks leading up to when then I blinded myself. I was in and out of the restraint chair a few times and uh, the final time I was in there for nine and a half hours, and that was just the day before I blinded myself. So I feel like that kind of played up the situation for me. Isolation is a scary place. I wasn't getting the hour out for whatever reason, and 
that's where all the bad things happened for me. I had seven incidents of excessive force there, basically. All the incidents of excessive force were there, and I had the jump incident. Right, and all of the isolation was at Boulder County? Yes. Okay. I'm lucky I didn't get hurt when I jumped. They rushed in. When I got on the railing, I really intended to jump for whatever reason, and uh, to, to put my head into the, into the ground was what I was thinking. And I was trying to work up the muster and they came in as soon as I got on the railing and then I kind of just rushed it and went for it, but, but not in the same way. And I just kind of went for it and fell, fell and flipped over. I went to the ground and I broke a rib and a vertebrae, but I didn't actually get hurt. And you have not been told anything as parents about what was happening. I went to the jail twice to visit Ronnie in that December. And one time I visited him. The other two times they wouldn't let me visit him and they had no explanation for me. Then I called the lawyer. They wouldn't let the lawyer go in and visit Ryan. We knew something horrible was going to happen. And that was before? Yes, those, those 16, 17 days were crucial to all of this coming to December a December 1st I was sentenced. Um, December 16th or 17th I blinded myself. I got three tased three times in the interim. Um, and that was my third time in isolation um, across the whole state. People who have a cellmate are much, much less likely to do self-harm and certainly suicide because they, if they can't stop the inmate, they can call for help. To, to take someone and punish him, they say, no, no, it was for his security and the officer's security. They put him in solitary confinement because it made their job easier, and it was to punish. I read a quote from one of the reports that one of the mental health workers said Ryan was not suicidal, but just trying to get attention. One of the mental yeah, health we're, workers we're said that? that? Yes. I'm aware of it when I jumped. Oh, you know what? I remember that. Because after that incident, he was put in solitary confinement. I was in already. After okay. which incident? When he jumped. I was already in. Okay. Ultimately, I was in isolation three times. Mm -hmm. None of the times did I do something violent or make a threat or, or anything against anyone or myself even. No threats, no, no altercations, physical altercations, three trips to isolation. When you were being taken into isolation, if you can recall, did you feel okay with that decision? Did you try to tell them that that wasn't going to be good for you? Was there any room for that? Um, it's usually not up for debate. I, the first time I stepped out of my cell during lunchtime, they were feeding us, but I wasn't allowed out. Um, one time I was hearing voices. The second time I was hearing voices, I was in general population. I don't know. I went to a guard at night through my cell door and she got me out. I don't remember what I told her. And ultimately they sent me back to isolation. That's what the time that I jumped. Are you aware that he broke seven of his teeth out in the front yeah. on the toilet? That got my attention. And then when I, did that happen? That happened in March or April. February or March, right? Prior to Portland. I don't know, honestly. Right. Maybe, yeah, prior to Portland. So that was before blinding yourself? Yeah, it was in the spring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, you would like to do this between the three of you or just you, Ryan. Can you give me any insight on what happened with the blinding 
how the jail responded, how you all responded. I had been sentenced on the 1st of December and I wound up back in isolation that later that day. Um, I got tased a couple times in the, in the coming two weeks and then I blinded myself on the, in the cell in isolation. Um, ultimately, it took them a while. I didn't go to them. I wasn't, I didn't trust them and I didn't seek out any help. And it took them a long time to come to my aid and get me out of the cell. Do you know how long that was? It was about two and a half hours after they saw blood on my face. Are you able to tell me what was going on mentally for you when you made that decision? Um, I was in a manic state, sort of, or an aggressive, aggressive state. And uh, I, I was hitting on this side of the cell door, thinking maybe they'd come in to, to fight me or something. And then I walked in a circle a couple times in my cell, and then I sat down and, and did it. I thought I had to take action. I was trapped. I didn't know what was coming next. I didn't know that they were trying at that time to get me out to a hospital, um, that a judge had ruled that they were going to, but it didn't, it never happened. Right. And I walked in a circle a couple of times and just, it just, just took action. It popped into my mind. Right. Right. I was trapped. I didn't know what was coming next. And what did end up coming next? Um, it took several hours to get me out of the cell and they sent me to Denver General Hospital. Um, they tried to do an eye surgery there and then uh, I stayed there for a couple weeks, I think, or 10 days. And then I went to Pueblo Mental Health Hospital for maybe six weeks or eight weeks, 10 weeks. And when you said that you felt trapped, did you mean that you felt trapped in isolation specifically? Yeah, I had to take action because I was in a bad state. I had a lot of energy and I had, I felt I just had to do something. I was trapped. And do you have any vision at all at this point or no? No, I can't see anything. It's sort of a, a reddish black mixture of, 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 of granul, granulization. And when that happened, how long did it take for the two of you to be told that that had happened? Um, f first of all, Ryan had a propensity and had talked about blinding himself, which the jail was aware of. Of course, they have these socks that they can put over your fingers, which of course they didn't use. They, don't, they wouldn't cut his fingernails. Uh, which was also true uh, when we got him to Pueblo. We had to go through that argument as well. But it was a nurse who noticed that Ryan had blood coming down both his eyes, a nurse. And she talked about it with another sheriff, and they did nothing. And then they came back two and a half hours later, and they saw that the blood was drying on his face. But it is my understanding that when they came in to get Ryan, who was blind, who was on his knees, they came in with squat with the shields, pinned them again on the floor, did their dirty deeds, and then took them off to Foothills Hospital, which they could have done a 72-hour hold just as easily. Before that happened. Yes, absolutely. They took him to Foothills, and then at Foothills, they said, you need to go to a trauma center. And they, you know, they drove him to Denver. 
opposed to airlifting him. They could have taken him faster, too. And, and way back, you know, they could have taken him to Denver General Hospital jail unit in the basement for treatment, for, for mental health treatment. We didn't know that even existed until after he was blind. Denver County Jail has been doing involuntary medications for eight, nine, possibly ten years. Yeah. We really didn't know positively that Ryan had schizophrenia and Shelley hired a clinical psychologist and he had to go in there twice to interview Ryan and Ryan was not happy about this, but it's over 600 questions and, you know, the diagnosis came back with a certainty. The jail knew of Ryan's condition from the house psychiatrist, but you know, we were never informed of any of his conditions or even his lawyer that he had. Just as a quick interruption, Jackie here, to clarify this timeline, Ryan saw a psychiatrist at Fort Logan during his 40-day stay in the spring or summer of 2016. And according to Shelley, that's when he received his schizophrenia diagnosis and was prescribed some sort of antipsychotic. Shelley and Richard were entirely unaware this happened and only found out he had schizophrenia when Shelley hired that clinical psychologist in October 2016 that Richard referenced. Once they found this out, they planned to get Ryan proper private treatment as soon as he was released, which they were hoping the judges would grant at his sentencing on December 1st. Two local judges, well actually one was the attorney general, two judges wanted Ryan out of the jail in 24 hours and in a medical facility. They violated that. They like to keep saying they were doing their best, they were trying, blah, blah, blah. But they also could have released Ryan to us. Mm. We asked them to release him to us, and we would find a private facility for Ryan at that point when we knew what the diagnosis was. We were extremely worried. We knew for a fact something horrible was going to happen at that I, we called the jail every day and talked to them. We tried to get them to medicate him to release him to us. And they did none of that. They basically did nothing. And at what point were you given this information about Ryan blinding himself? How long after it happened? The next day, Getz, who's the commander at the jail, who's been there for 30 years, who I had some conversations with, called me up very nonchalantly and told me, Ryan, had blinded himself and he was in the jail in Denver and maybe they could save one of his eyes. And I was quite upset and I said to him, God, I said, I have to go upstairs and tell his mother. And he says, that's okay, I'll wait. It was so nonchalant. I couldn't believe the lack of caring that Getz showed me at that moment. Not an ounce of I'm sorry. We've never been apologized to by anyone from the Boulder County Sheriff's Department. But I do see in the paper they say, we have done nothing wrong. You know how despicable that is to me? It's despicable. And if you think that that county sheriff, the new one, who had to have approved any comments that were made, if you think they're going to make changes over there when that's their attitude, you're, you're mistaken. I promise you that. A lot of these people are bullies. Joe Pelly retired earlier this year in January. The new sheriff's name is Curtis Johnson. I wanted to point out, because you're new to the area, that Joe Pelly was 25 years. Was 20 he, years. 20 years. He was the 
sheriff. So his um, father before him was a sheriff here as well. Not not right before him, but in the past. There's a generational pattern. Yes. So you know, um, Johnson, I think his name is that is the sheriff now. He's very new and um, you know, it wasn't under his purview, but nothing has changed. Also, I'm very you are listening to KGNU 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 Denver. This is a public affair. If you're just joining us, we're halfway through an interview conducted by me, Jackie Sedley. Earlier this week, I sat down with Ryan Partridge and his family. Partridge's name was everywhere in 2017 when media outlets heard he'd gouged his own eyes out in solitary confinement at the Boulder County Jail. Part two of the interview dives further into the lawsuit he filed against the county and the settlement he reached with them earlier this month. Here's part two. Ryan, what was the timeline of being released from jail or from the hospital when you finally were, were free to go, free to come home? No, um, I did 10 days at Denver General and then maybe eight weeks at Pueblo. And I got uh, out mm, maybe in... Around my birthday, probably in March, right. some point in March. They allowed me to go down and pick Ryan up because he was still under the custody of the Boulder County Jail for this misdemeanor. We had to go back to court to get him released from the charges after he did all that time, after he blinded himself and did 180 days for a misdemeanor. Yeah. Go ahead, that, Ryan. Um, ultimately, I had to do some paperwork because I had pushed the, the, the officer on the 1st of December when I got sentenced, or well, shortly after when I was in isolation, then like a day or two later. Uh, see, I pushed, I, I got into a fight with one of them when they were trying to handcuff me when I was in isolation the final time um, on like December 3rd. And uh, after that, the facilities that they could send me to were more limited. Once you were in the process of being released, was there anything in the court where they were referring to diagnosis? When Ryan came out of Pueblo, he was on medication. Okay. So when Ryan refers to this uh, where he shoved the officer, so what they did was then they filed felony assault charges on him. So when he came out of Pueblo, we had to go. His dad picked him up, but we went to the courthouse and his dad became guardian and Pelly came in and said, you know, we're dropping those charges and we can't house him because, you know, they don't, they don't have the ability. Who said that? Pelly. Sheriff Joe Pelly, the original sheriff, yeah. Right. We had gone to, because we didn't know what to do when Ryan was in Pueblo, now what? what? And so actually David Lane got a hold of us. Our civil attorney, our, he's ACLU attorney in Denver. Right. Um, and he reached out at what point? In between when Ryan was in Pueblo, huh? Early January. Mm -hmm. Of 2017. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what led him to you? You know, he watches this stuff. He's aware of. The lawyer that Ryan had knew him, and he recommended David Lane to take this case because this was his forte. And I said, we'll give him a call, and he did. And David Lane called me back, and we went in about a week later 
and started the process. Ryan was released from Pueblo in late February or early March of 2017, according to Shelley, and moved back in with his parents. The process takes a while because when you when you sue the government, you, the waiting period to start off with is six months. You can't just sue like that. And uh, it takes a while. It was a very lar- large case. We had 22 defendants in our complaint. That's a lot of people. And you say, well, why so many? We're just trying to sue everybody there. Because this went on for nine months. Lots of participants in this excessive force and this abuse in that time period. Right, right. Ryan, I saw you kind of throw your fist in the air when your, <laughs> your mom mentioned that you, were, you came home. Can you tell me what that felt like to finally be able to, to leave and come back? What were you feeling? Oh, um, just I was, I was happy. I was, I was relieved to be getting out and coming home. And he picked me up and we had to drive back from Pueblo. They had told me uh, before that, right before that, that it was unlikely that they... They, people at the facility said they'd seen it happen in the past, but very rarely that you don't have to go back to your jail to be released by them, but they let my father pick me up. At that point in time, when you were at Pueblo, did you have hope that this would come to an end? I was glad to be out of the jail and out of the isolation. And, uh, um, I, I, I didn't... I didn't know what was coming next. It turned out well for me, pretty much. What was life like for you between leaving the jail and then when the process for the lawsuit started? And how involved were you in the lawsuit process versus parents and the attorney? I think they told me that we were filing a lawsuit when I was in Pueblo. And it had some meaning to me, but it's, I, I, I didn't know what to think ultimately, and it's turned out very well. And did you go through any other mental health services after you came home? I returned here and I started going to see um, a a psychiatrist at Ryan Wellness Center. Once we engaged David Lane, we went down and uh, Kate Simpson, one of the additional lawyers, interviewed us, specifically Ryan. So, you know, his dad and I did an initial paperwork timeline with David Lane, but then when it started, then it turned into interviews and them going to the jail. And uh, at that time, you know, they didn't have any cameras in the jail areas. Well, in the general, Brian says in the general area, but not in any of the cells. That was one of the things the jail had to change was some of the hallways, some of the pods, they had to have uh, cameras. But none in the isolation. So, some places there no. were, and some places there weren't. Not in that. I don't know about all this. Basically, they changed the rules on the restraint chair. Now there's always a tripod camera on it. They put you in a restraint chair and then back into your cell. In my case, it was in isolation. But now they have a tripod camera on you. Um, I don't know if somebody's watching it in live motion or it just records. And the other big change is that. They're supposed to only isolate people for two weeks if they have an access one mental diagnosis. And that was a change in the state law. Okay. The Tualatin County Jail has not implemented. <laughs> we they haven't implemented that? You didn't know if he was no, in solitary? No, absolutely not. And I didn't know 
that they were using excessive force on him, or I'd been over there with my boxing gloves on if I had known that. So you didn't find out about the excessive force no. or the confinement until no, no. after he was Afterwards. already released? Yes. There were seven, seven counts we had of excessive force. The attorney went in with um, the, the, the jail words, documents basically. a lot of these incidents, you know, themselves. And they, they, they went back and got the paperwork from the incidents as well as they sent detectives into the facility. After the fact. Yeah. Uh, private detectives from David Lynch. Right, right. As we're talking about this, I feel so honored that you're also willing to be vulnerable about this. I, I just can't imagine how it feels to have to revisit all of this, not just here right now, but for the lawsuit. And I guess I'm curious what led you to feel able to step up and pursue the lawsuit rather than just try to leave this in the past and forget about it. <laughs> you can't forget it. <laughs> we were reaching out for help. I mean, what is this just going to keep happening to other people too? You know. But well, we, they can't give Ryan his eyesight back. All the the only remedy in our system is money. Is money. That's it. And I I guess what I was trying to get at is some people do feel like the only healthy way is to not have to continue to think of, like, focus on it in a court of law and continue to tell the story every single day. How have you found the strength for that? Where does that strength come from? I still think it would be bottled up. It'd probably come out in other ways. Anger, um, you know, who knows what, as parents, uh, depression, you know. So the, I think this was a healthy way to address it. And um, the only way they're going to stop doing what they're doing is if it's a money thing, because the jail is insured, and then it's underwritten by another insurer. And until enough money, they get slammed with enough money, they're just not going to change their ways. There's no, you know, some people say, well, the officers should have to carry some of their own insurance. That's, you know, way in the future. Not as a direct result of our civil lawsuit, but we, we were involved in changing the law on solitary confinement in this state. Are you aware of that? Tell me more. I'm aware of it, but I want to hear it. We were asked by uh, Judy Amabile and a lady named Lauren Snyder and David Lane if we would testify in front of the Senate and the House Judiciary about solitary confinement. It was Judith's bill, and we attended both. And I'd say that they had other people there talking about it, but I would say that we nailed it for them. I think that our case, seeing is believing, so to speak. Um, this idea of solitary confinement was targeted to the seven largest county jails in the state. Those that have over 400 beds, we're talking El Paso, Denver, Boulder, Weld County, Larimer County. The law went into effect a year ago, July 1st. But lo and behold, the only jail in the state that's not abiding by it is the Boulder County Jail. I say this to people because I'm liberal. I came here during the hippie days of Boulder. And oh, you know, Boulder's so progressive and Boulder's so liberal. 
That Boulder County Jail, there's nothing liberal about that Boulder County Jail. It has a long tradition and culture of excessive force in that jail. There were all kinds of small things while he was in solitary confinement that he's supposed to be let out for so many much time a day, shaving, showering, telephone calls. None of that happened. That wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. Not on a consistent basis and really on a very, very limited basis. So that was part of the testimony that Ryan gave to the I took one shower. That happened once. I had the jump attempt there. I was afraid of my thoughts. The jail makes a, a lot of noise about doing the best they could, and they were always trying to find a medical facility or a hospital for Ryan. The only thing they mention in their articles, they like to talk about Pueblo, but there are 12 other institutions, medical institutions, that could have also been on the list to take Ryan. Um, yes, at that point he was considered violent, so the list gets, gets smaller, certainly, but they can always do a 72-hour hold where they could have sent him over to Foothills Hospital, literally two miles away, and, you know, they don't ask if you want medicated when you're at the hospital. Uh, they would have medicated him. They wouldn't, we asked them, could you just give him some Valium or something to calm him down? This jail, different than most larger jails in the state of Colorado, they don't do involuntary medication. That is a Joe Pelly policy. It is not the law. It's his law. One of the problems that I see with the Boulder County Jail is the men, they, they do have nurses that are jail employees, but they also have some nurses that are private. We found this out because they didn't get qualified immunity. In case you don't know, because I sure didn't, qualified immunity is a legal defense that often protects police officers and other government officials from being held accountable in court when they violate people's constitutional rights. It states that officials who violate others' rights can only be held responsible if they did so in a manner already determined to be unconstitutional by the courts. Colorado was the first state to ban qualified immunity as a defense for individual officers back in 2020. But Ryan filed his complaint in December of 2017. But one of the problems at the jail is the mental health workers, they can advise, but they have no decision-making. They have no power. It is a jail-run jail. Something in the lawsuit that I noticed in the language, it said that the 22 jail employees being sued were deliberately indifferent to Ryan's medical needs and that they repeatedly used excessive force. I'm not sure which one of you dictated deliberately indifferent or what your thoughts are on that, but is there any experiences? That's the lawyer terminology, That's the attorney's terminology. There are stages to deliberate indifferent. Years ago, they would have called it negligence. But deliberately indifferent also has to imply that they knew and when they knew and that there was some intent. It's not just a matter of an officer not having the training or the skills to judge a situation improperly. There has to be intent. There has to be documentation that they were aware. Everyone in that jail back in the springtime knew Ryan had schizophrenia. Everybody but our lawyer and us, they talked about Ryan. I, we see it in their notes. We had all sorts of documentation. and. Uh, um, uh, one of the problems was always we've got a federal judge that was pro-law enforcement. As an example, 
We did 17 depositions. She wouldn't even read them. Who Little, was it? The judge, the federal Which judge. Which judge is that? Christina Harguello. Okay. Yeah, she was the judge that got our case. So our case was up, uphill from day one because she gave everybody qualified immunity. When we did our depositions, we did 17 depositions on them. They did three depositions because they have no case. I mean, if we had gone to a jury trial, 95% of what the jury would have heard would have been from us, and all they would have talked about is, oh, no, no, we did nothing wrong. That would have been their, their argument. And when the defense is that they had it in the works at the very end, that's a poor defense. When they say I'm refusing my hour out, that's a poor defense. When they say isolation is treatment, that's really not true. I can still see the look on the attorney's eyes when Ryan went to deposition. We did 17 depositions on nurses and mental health workers and administrators and correctional officers, and we could have done more. The judge didn't read it anyways. But when Ryan did his deposition, they, I kind of think they thought they had us until he walked in the room well-dressed, articulate, on medication. He, he was on a deposition for two and a half hours. He blew them out of the water with his answers and response. They knew then they had a tough case, mm -hmm. that they did not want this to go to trial because the jury would have sympathized with Ryan. And when you said that Boulder County Jail hasn't changed anything with solitary confinement yet. Oh, absolutely not. Is there a deadline for them to have to? And do you think they'll evade that? They, they gave them like a year to implement it, but it's already time to do so. And they're citing logistical problems. I don't know what that means. A lot of the, some of the people are getting out like in the middle of the night. They're, they're in isolation. They're getting out for an hour, but it's in the middle of the night. Those pe civil rights people are complaining they can't call their loved ones. It affects their sleep, things like that. I don't know exactly what they're not doing completely, but they're not, they're the only jail not doing it. They're certainly not writing down what they're doing. They're supposed to record the data and turn it in. And they have not been. No. I wasn't able to confirm or deny this. So now coming into present day, as far as a court of law is concerned, justice has been served. But just because the case is settled and you've received the 2.25 million, that doesn't mean that you're just feeling satisfied, happy, thank all. you. Not at all. What are you feeling now, now that you've received that? Yes, right. I feel um, happy about it or vindicated too. It makes me feel, uh, I'm, not, I'm unafraid to tell this story. Uh, I feel it vindicates that, I, that there was more, more factors at play than just me. They were in, involved in it as well. And uh, I also got Prior to this one, I got three, a little over 300000 for the seven excessive force claims. And uh, I think that says something, too. Are you, you say you're feeling vindicated. Do you, do you feel like you're now able to move forward a bit? Or do you still feel like you want more? I hope that we can tell other new tales and do new things but also it's it's you know that doesn't rectify everything of course of course you you said that this showed that it wasn't just you and that other parties were involved were you aware looking back that you weren't in the wrong or yeah. did you feel like you were I I never felt I was in the wrong I I, I feel like a lot of people are always going to have that see that side of it 
right. and I feel like this vindicates my my side of it. I, I know that ultimately I did it to myself in that moment, and I know that I was in and out of jail that year um, for just I shouldn't, that was unnecessary and that was a mistake. You know, we'll never get a acknowledgement from the sheriff's department, uh, but as David Lane says to them each time, if you didn't do anything wrong, why'd you give us all this money? You know. So what does that mean to you? What does the money and the decision mean to you? Whether it it's just goes well, it, it it'll give Ryan opportunity to care for himself through his life if it's in jail invest it wisely um, the message is to stop this stop this and now that's a little bit stronger I see there's a couple lawsuits that uh, have happened since then one of them because there's cameras in areas um, it's hard to even get information about some of the you know um, suits that are being filed and how has Boulder County responded to the settlement? Have they said anything? Have you, have you read it? I, mean, I they have, say the same. That's all they say. They have a PR person that handles this, says the same thing. We didn't do anything wrong. It was a tragedy for our employees. We were not at fault. No one broke the law. Mm -hmm. When you sign a settlement agreement, especially the excessive force, they do accept culpability. So this idea that they did nothing wrong, I could go in my closet and show you paperwork where they sure as did sign off on some of these things that they, you know, for the settlement reasons. I did want to ask about the alternative sentencing facility that Boulder voted to get approved in 2018. And it's this facility for quote unquote, well-behaved prisoners mm -hmm. and inmates. Mm -hmm. So it will offer more mental health support and wraparound services allegedly, but you have to pay for it. And I'm curious in the bigger conversation of jail and prison reform, abolition, mental health services, how do all of those things feel to you? I know that's a really loaded question. I'm not a big fan of uh, the work release program where then you have to pay for your incarceration. I don't think it, it lends to uh, getting the person out. It's just like probation. See, when I was, you know, a lot really of this is, a, is you get stuck in the cycle, most people that, I don't know. I could see how a lot of people on work release might not be up to the task of completing the program and then where does that leave them, things like that. If you think new construction is going to change the hearts and minds of jailers over there that have a propensity to be bullies, it is not. I'm not against the new construction. I think it's great. Of the I think sentences. yes, yes. I think that's a great project. I think that'll help, but it has not changed the hearts and minds of the correction officers. I promise you that. What do you think would serve them, if you have an answer to that? Well, I think Judy Amabile has the answer to it. You know, we need a mental health hospital associated with the jail. And do you think that that's a fair start to change? Absolutely. What do you think? This yes. area is growing. It, it's, it's appropriate here now that it's more urban and it's grown. It's maybe, maybe we can facilitate having one here locally. I, I mean, there's no, there's no perfect. It's not going to end. It's, we're going to try and improve it. It's not going to be over solved. I always go back to say it, it sounds so simple, but I honestly believe it is one of the keys to success moving forward is 
I'm not saying all cops are bad, but the good cops have to stop the bad cops. Even if it's their partner and their buddy, they, sh they need to have a system in place where the person doesn't necessarily get fired because his partner turned them in for excessive force. There has to be some kind of risk reward for this sort of thing. But the good cops who we keep hearing are the majority. They need to stop the bad cops, whether feelings are hurt or not. So it sounds like when I think about reform versus abolition, it sounds like the general sentiment is that reform is the way to go more so you mean as opposed to like prison and jail and police <laughs> abolition what would you say to someone that's who? irrational nobody's you know that's just it, there should be more emphasis put on helping people than on incarcerating them so what changes ideally would you want to see happen if you could wave a magic wand and tomorrow the the Boulder County Jail specifically, let's say, had made some big reforms, or the system in Colorado, what would you like to see? Well, when you're dealing with the populace and you're dealing with the voters, I'm going to assume that by far the majority have never seen the inside of a jail. But I'm finding out over this experience, I've had a lot of people come up to me and tell me their experiences locally with Boulder Police. I've heard a lot of stories by people who had had some first-hand encounter. I went outside here on Broadway for rush hour for roughly two months in February and March, and I protested the Boulder County Jail, and my signs weren't very complimentary, to put it mildly. And, you know, 10,000 cars go by there a day. I can't tell you the support I got from the community, either giving me the peace sign, thumbs up, hitting the horns. I had people yelling things out to me. But I had a number of Boulder City cops who pulled up to me and said they were sorry. They wished me the best of luck. Because there is a little, I don't know if the word is rivalry, but there's a difference between the city cops and the Boulder County sheriffs. The city cops, of course, don't run a jail, which is one of the more obviously bigger problems. But the city cops were quite uh, supportive of me when they would drive by. I mean, I was out there every day. They knew I was going to be there. Yeah. I'd say it was 20 to 1. Yeah, but they aren't perfect either. No, you know, they've not. had a different times where they've, yeah, for sure. you know, for sure. been way off. But they are, um, the, the police you interact with, um, they are not, they're not in the jail. They're out in the public. They're the face of the jail to the public. Our interaction with the, the officers on the street, they're, a lot of them are okay. But the jailers, you know, they're uh, numbed. They uh, don't make much money. They're not trained. I think this um, hospital idea is great but this is a long-term thing you don't cure this you know short term so that has to in in a hospital might might be a step in that direction i don't necessarily think that even judges are aware of all the mental health you think they're educated and they're the judges i don't think a lot of judges are informed about mental health issues at all 
throughout this conversation, there have been moments, obviously, where there's been a smile or a laugh. How, how do you keep that up? How have you been able to maintain a smile or a laugh? Well, those smiles are from, from the absurdity of some stuff. You know, I mean, ranting and getting angry, smiling relieves laughing, relieves tension. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm different in Shelley in some ways in the fact that I'm angry. I am angry. I am pissed off. I want a pound of flesh. And a big part of my motivation is to get even with the Boulder County Jail, what they did to my son. I still have to get up every morning. He can't see. He can't live the life that I wanted for him or he wanted for himself. That does not change. That, that money doesn't change a thing. And the idea that they're not complying with the law. Really? You know, when you talk about reliving it, we went in front of the House Judiciary and the Senate Judiciary here and spoke to the public and to the legislators and and then they just they just don't do it because they don't want to they don't have to the police union maybe not in numbers the fraternal order of the police they are the most powerful union in the united states the teachers union has power and they have more members but police unions can literally blackmail and they do. So they have a lot of power and they're organized. And a lot of judges, a lot of people in the system, they just want to be protected, protected, you know. They don't, they want their lives protected and their families and their property. And sometimes they're willing to look the other way if the cops give them those three things and they don't give a damn what they do to somebody else. How often at this point in time would you say for each of you you spend your days thinking about this. Thinking about transition. Yeah, big transition. This is just now, right? We may get the money this week <clears throat> later. The, so we did media for two weeks. Um, it's been a big, we'd had the negotiations and all of that before that. It's, this is a big push. And then hopefully there's, I mean, there is, there's opportunity at the other side. I kind of had a panic attack. I felt a little bad the other day, just thinking about new things and just kind of sensory overload. Of what to do when you get the money? No, but but new opportunity had, had me thinking diff, new opportunity thoughts, but also just negative thoughts about other things. I don't know. Just too many thoughts. Yeah, too lots much, of change. Yeah, too many thoughts. So, so first we get relief, relieved, and eventually we will get relaxed. And hopefully we can put our attention elsewhere. The media has done an adequate job of portraying it. They, they talk about the excessive force and they talk about the isolation and that gets it across to the public. They don't talk about the specifics of being in a chair or this, that and the other, but, but it gets it across. Um, and that's been kind of anxiety provoking, but also therapeutic to go through the media thing here for the last time. Is there anything that you feel like hasn't been brought to the attention of the public that you wish would? I really felt liberated when I was out there protesting. I love going out there every day and going here, right here. Because, you know, people, after a while, saw this old guy out there, you know, uh, Boulder County Sheriff bullies. My son is blind. Justice for Ryan. What did the other one? Excessive force. That's what my signs said. And uh, Straight to the point. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 
I just want to plug David Lane and his law firm. Yeah. They they fought through it because, you know, we were getting lowballed for many years. Mm -hmm. hey, most law firms would have quit when the judge did the qualified immunity. The insurance company came to us in the final week or whatever before, before appeal. The best part of our appeal was the fact that they denied him medical care and they knew. Right. Yeah. Ryan, is there anything that you would like people to know about your experience, about how you're feeling now that you feel like hasn't been expressed in media yet? What I want to see change, or I don't know how much it's been talked about, is I wasn't getting an hour out. The one time I was in there for 30 days, and, and that's nonsense. And uh, I don't care and why. And they don't, I don't tell care. you how long you're going to be in there. No, I didn't know what was going to happen next when I blinded myself. I didn't know there was a court order to get me moved. Right. And he was teased. In what way? Well, after he jumped from the second tier and he tried to do it a second time, uh, they were calling him parachute partridge. The jailers. <laughs> One of the jailers said that, yeah. I mean, no, the I can't prove it, but that's what actually happened. Wow. Well, how did you find that out? Um, right, I told him. And in the documentation, I, we had some, some things that mm -hmm. that was noted. Yeah. Um, it happened. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I don't think I'll ever get over this. Ryan, how, how much of your day do you spend reflecting on this time of your life? Recently a lot, but that's only been since this all came to be into fruition and going through it again. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of waiting, so we have a lot of practice at doing other things. Mm -hmm. you know, Ryan's involved with the Disability Walk Achilles International. That's a really uh, well-run, good place for you know, people to meet and go and get outside. So. We're practiced in that, but boy, the last, you know, since the appeal ended and they came to us with an offer and we signed that and then there's waiting and then there's more waiting. Oh, I guess a way to tie it in, I, I'm, I'm still complaining about the hour out issue because I just frankly don't remember it. I don't remember refusing it. They can say what they want. I'm not going to say that's, you know, I was aggressive in some manner maybe and they didn't give it to me. Um, but uh, to, to tie that in or to bring it back is that they're still not giving people this time out in restrictive housing at this jail. They are at the other jails, but not here. They're citing some sort of logistical error. And I, I don't know exactly what's happening, but people are out in the middle of the night and things like that. So civil rights people are advocating that it's still not, it's still not really working. The people need to get their hour out. That's absolute. Okay. Ryan, is there anything that you're, you're looking forward to? Now that this is ending, is there anything that you're excited about, relieved about? I'm content. I, uh, I'm relieved. Uh, it turned into more than I ever would have thought. And uh, it's got a, it's a positive for me in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm, it took a long time, but I had a good, a positive outcome. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm get, oh, I get security and I get some standard of living and uh, I'm lucky to be getting out of it at all. This would not happen in a lot of places. I also, I forgot to ask this, and if you don't want to comment on this, that's okay, but you mentioned when I first got here that you two have been divorced and kind of came together when all of this was happening. Has that experience been okay? Do you, no, you live together now here? Yes. Okay. It's a big enough house. We all have our spaces that we go to and different friends and, you know, known each other really. I mean, it wasn't like we didn't interact 
once we were divorced. They just increased the housing limits here from, I think, three unrelateds <laughs> to five. We're related, but it's happening everywhere in the city now. Ryan, is there anything else that you want to add? No, I think that was good. All right. That was Ryan Partridge, Shelley Partridge, and Richard Partridge speaking with me in their Boulder home. I'll be following up with them in the coming months to see how life is going post-settlement, so feel free to keep an eye and ear out for that. For KGNU and Report for America, I'm Jackie Sedley.